Good morning, and you can be seated. You have to apologize. I got to get some water. Singing a little too loud, praising our God, yeah? Isn't it good to be a part of a church that lifts high the name of Jesus? Y'all need to wake up. All righty. My name's Paul, if, if you're new today. Um, Tony, our, our senior pastor, is out of town, so he asked me to step in and fill in for him um, because he loves you and doesn't want you to go a Sunday without hearing from God's Word. Um, so uh, before we get into this passage, though, uh, we're going to throw up some, some points on the screen. There's going to be three points. Okay, they're going to they're be up there. Don't write them down. Okay? I know some of you are going to want to jump on it right away and, and get them down on your paper before they disappear. I'm giving you kind of a, a forewarning. Don't write them down because we're going to do kind of this compare and contrast visually, um, and you'll have to start erasing on your paper if you write these down. So, so here they are. Okay? And, and the argument kind of goes like this. All right? So God created us in his image and so we're to reflect him we're to reflect his character uh, you know show off who he is um, you know tell a tell a story of, of his personhood through us as as his creation and um, you know we're to display his personhood and we also understand you know we think we can all agree with that but we all all understand that uh, you know there's this kind of duality to humanity you know, we can do good things, and we can do bad things, and we kind of have a tendency to view that in, in light of, uh, of how God made us, and so the good things we attribute to God, that these are, these are, you know, things that we do because God created us to reflect His image, this is how He made us from the beginning, and the bad things are a result of, you know, because of sin and death and the fall. And when we think of those things that argument, that perspective, when we look at these, that they kind of make sense, don't they? That as, as God reveals himself and shows who he is and how mighty of a God he is, he does that through his creation, through his image bearers, and God reveals his strengths through our strengths and accomplishments, his greatness. And God reveals his limitlessness through our creativity and ingenuity. And God reveals his love through our own generosity in which we love other people and give to them. And that all sounds, sounds good. But when we start to look through and read through the Bible, we see that God communicates something to us that's a little bit different. And especially here, if you, in, in 2 Corinthians, which is where we're going to be at today. So if you have a Bible, feel free to turn to 2 Corinthians. But in this discourse that Paul has in the way that he's communicating to the saints in Corinth, and especially here in 2 Corinthians, Paul once again speaks to them with Christ's own words communicated through Paul's voice. And what's communicated is that showing off our strength does not reflect God's strength. God's strength is revealed through our frailty. 
So if you look, if you read through 2 Corinthians, you'll see that Paul makes this point over and over and in various ways. And and verse 7 in chapter 4, which is where we're going to be in chapter 4. So verse 7 is merely just one instance of this, albeit a good one. Here's what he writes. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. First of all, if, let, me, let me say, if, if I can, if you'll allow me to, um, that it really doesn't matter what the treasure is or what the jars of clay are, are referring to. Um, you know, church history has a, has a wide range of, of how we interpret the Bible. You go way back and they made everything, you know, it was all allegory. Everything had double meaning. You know, you would read that, you know, somebody walked down the street and that means, you know, the church should be on the road, always preaching, and really that just meant someone walked down the street. Um, but so they, they had all these things and these double meanings, and one person would say, all this means this thing, and another person would say, all this means this thing, and, and there was a lot, of, a lot of confusion. In recent times, we look more to, towards you know, a historical, critical kind of approach on, on how to look at it. Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and, and, and Paul had things that was on his heart, and God was speaking through Paul to the Corinthian church on, on what they need to see and what they need to know and what they need to understand. And so when we read this, we read what they were hearing, and, and we see how does that now apply to us? How does God want us to apply that truth that he spoke back then to our lives today? So there's this tension of looking through of, of what's, okay, what's literal or what's, you know, what's kind of metaphorical and, and these kind of things that we have to ask. And it was customary back then that, that a, a jar of clay that someone would, would hide treasure in it. You know, um, similar to if, if for protection reasons, if, you know, we drive down the road and we see a house and it's got, you know, some nice plywood on the window and, um, you know, easy access off, off one side of the porch because it's lower than the other and you could just walk right off. And, um, you know, maybe their, their trash guy hasn't shown up for a while and so they've got a lot of it out there in their yard. And, and windows are broken, and, and we look at this house, and we think, boy, that's, that's kind of a scary place. We wouldn't look at it and think, I bet they got some really nice stuff in there. <laughs> no, because we'd look at it and be like, wow, that's, that's really nothing. Um, and so a, a clay of jar, that's, that's what it would be. So they, could, they, they sometimes hid some treasure in clay jars. And maybe Paul, as he was traveling and the churches were giving him money to take back to Jerusalem to keep it safe, he tucked it away in some clay jars. Uh, you know, that could have happened. I, I'm reminded we used to have a, uh, an oatmeal container that was in the top of our pantry. We put money in it. <laughs> Ain't nobody looking in there for money. So maybe Paul did that. Maybe that maybe this was Paul's approach and 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 he's kind of referencing this. Um, you know, but if that's the case, you know, why does Paul say it here? I, I don't think it's really for any other purpose other than, you know, it's an, an illustrative tool to move Paul's point along. Um, but I think Paul did have he did have a point. He did have a reason as to why he was bringing this up, uh, you know, and so. I'm thinking it's probably a little bit more metaphorical. So you ask me, what, what is the treasure? You, you ask me, what is the treasure? <laughs> Thank you. And you ask, what is the jar of clay? 
good. And I, uh, you know, I volley back. What does it matter? I just told you it doesn't matter. Why are you asking me? Anyway, you're right. (laughs) Um, So I think Paul did have a point, but the reason I'm I'm, I'm showing this is because really what matters is, is, is what Paul was getting to. The relationship between the treasure and the jar of clay is that it's to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. To God be the glory. To God be the praise and the exaltation. So those moments in life where you feel like life is a win, praise God, God is good. You know, when your child responds in a situation that that makes you proud, praise God, God is good. You know, when you come up with a solution at, at work that resolves a big issue or moves your company forward, praise God, He is good. Or when you start to make good decisions instead of making bad decisions that have haunted you, in your past, praise God because he's good. When you pray before a meal, when you serve in church, when you read your Bible daily, praise God, he is good. And so Paul did, he did, um, he did say this for a certain reason. He did bring this up. You know, it's to him and for his glory. God's greatness is not revealed through our strengths, for our strengths are not our own to begin with. But he brought this up, and, and there is a point, there is a, to the jar and the treasure and all these things. Um, you know, this jar of clay, it's, it's our life. It's, it's who we are. It, we're like dollar store Tupperware, okay? Now you put it in the microwave and you cook something and the sides of it get scorched and it's all bubbly and discolored and it's never the same as it was before. We're, we're like that. And so when it sits in the fridge too long and the food starts to spoil, y'all been there, right? That's not just me. <laughs> you don't save that Tupperware. You, you take it out and you throw it away with the spoiled food. A, a clay jar, when it gets cracked and, and, and it, it can't be used anymore, it's disposable. You get rid of it. That's just what it is. And that's, that's us, is it not? We're here for a moment and then we're gone. Life is short. And even if you're, someone is, is able to and, and, and make a name for themselves and do something great enough to be remembered, chances are down the road, someone's going to tell your story and they're going to skew it to fit their agenda. That's just what it is. That's where we're at. We're like a vapor, a mist. We're here and we're gone. But it's in this jar of clay that God has placed this incredible, ultimate treasure. What is this treasure? This treasure is the gospel. So in this scorched, discolored, cheap plastic Tupperware, God has placed this treasure, the gospel. This death-to-life paradox. Holding on to your life, you'll lose it, but losing your life, you'll gain it. And the power of the gospel message is that Jesus did just that. Look at chapter 13. should be on the screen if you don't want to turn. But chapter 13, Paul puts it this way. For he, meaning Jesus Christ, was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. 
Jesus gave his life for us. And in doing so, by the power of God, he took his own life back up again. Understanding this, believing this, putting your trust in this is the only way to find peace in a world of chaos. It's the only way to find hope in a world of despair. It's the only way to find God in a world that rejects his existence. Do you believe? Do you trust? Is your hope in Christ? Have you seen God's greatness this way? Knowing that you're not good enough yourself, but having faith in Jesus to be good enough for you? I hope you have. I hope you have because God reveals his greatness through our frailty. Be humble. Be humble. Likewise, God reveals his limitlessness through our fealty. Now, I know some of you thinkers out there are going to want to challenge me on where I'm getting this from and question me, Mason. Contend with me on this point. Saying our fealty, so swearing faithful allegiance to Christ reveals God's limitlessness. Didn't you just talk about that God's goodness is being shown through our weakness and you're now saying that how good we are in being faithful is revealing his power? You're all over the place, man. Yeah? But to answer your question, yes, I do think so. But this Paul here says it a little bit better maybe than this Paul does. So back to chapter 4 in verse 8. This is what he, he's written. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. It starts to give a little different perspective, doesn't it? I'm, I'm reminded of, of Loki in Marvel's Avengers movie. When he said, does an ant have a quarrel with a boot? I know you're thinking, what in the world? <laughs> but that statement, it, it, it reminds me of this in a sense of, of, does the fealty of a clay pot amount to much? No, not really. Not really. Uh, other than I'll, I'll, you know, I'll carry whatever you, you give me. But if you're keeping that, that imagery of that clay pot in your mind, look back to this, this uh, paradoxical list that Paul has. And the first thing he mentions is that we are afflicted, or as the NIV puts it, pressed down on every side. So if you've got a clay pot, right, and you start pressing down on this clay pot on from every side, what's going to happen? It's going to get crushed. If you're in a car and you're driving along and you're in a tunnel and you're, you're going, you know, the speed limit because you all obey the law, right? And you're tra traveling along and that tunnel starts to close in on you. What's going to happen? It ain't going to be pretty. I'll tell you that much. But Paul says we're not crushed. We're pressed down on every side, but we're not crushed. Why? How? Because of what's being carried inside the jar. 
the treasure. Y'all ever seen what happens to styrofoam when you put fire to it? (laughs) This is the last time I'll be asked to preach. All right. Nah, I ain't gonna drink that again. Set that right there. Fire and styrofoam, it, it doesn't go well for the styrofoam. It, it, it'll, it'll start to melt it and a hole will tear in it and it'll, it'll ripple apart and, and go down into a goo and then eventually just, you know, be, be in the air. But, but here, that didn't happen. And kids, it's not magic, okay? It's all right. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into the science of it all because you know, I, don't, I don't really know. Um, but I think we can all kind of understand and, and, and know that really what's happening is the water's protecting the cup. Because what's inside the cup is affecting what's outside. What's inside this jar of clay is changing how it can affect and what it can handle on the outside. And so we know that, that water doesn't mix with fire, right? We also know that, that God doesn't mix with death, nor does God mix with hopelessness or abandonment or destruction. Because where God is, there is restoration, abiding presence, hope, and peace. Where God is, is life. And it is his life that sustains us through this world's troubles. And this world is trouble, doesn't it? I mean, just this this past week, we have another mass killing in a school. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be a parent to face that kind of situation. I don't want to imagine it. But I do think that Paul here can relate to affliction and trouble. He said this in chapter 1, verse 8, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I think Paul's telling this story to, to show whenever he, he first realized and understood what God was sh- showing and teaching him and what he's trying to teach the Corinthians. Because he said, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. And that's it, isn't it? That inside the hope that we have, that when we have our faith in Christ, that death is not final. Death is not not something that ends it all. Jesus called it sleep. We're just going to rest a while. And he's going to bring us back by his power and his grace And this is the hope that's in us. And he also, in in chapter 11, he he regales more of the the struggles and the trials that he had in life. And this is what he, he wrote, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked at night and a day adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships, through many sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And so like this cup, it's not that we're not affected by these difficulties and at times we're scarred and shriveled because outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The discipleship of our children is a long and arduous task. But in dying to self and living for that purpose, we carry around the death of Jesus so that his life will be made known. Having a marriage that's based on submission and sacrifice is taxing, but carrying the cross for the sake of our spouse is being a jar of clay filled with the treasure of God. Remembering to interact with the people at work with the gospel approach to life is challenging, but not impossible, because with God all things are possible and his grace is sufficient for us so in turn we do we pray lord make yourself known to our children god help me be a better husband or better wife lord jesus don't let me be distracted as the day unfolds forgetting you have called me to be a light our faithful proclamation as a clay jar, saying, whatever you would have for me, Lord, feast or famine, I will praise you. This will show those who do not have the same hope that we have, it will show them a God who sustains the weary. God's limitlessness is made known through our fealty. Trust him. Trust him. And God reveals his love through our fatality. In verse 11 of chapter 4, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. When I was younger, probably all the way up to my junior year in high school, I I felt a need to figure out everything and to perform in a way that I could make everything work out in my favor. It was exhausting. And as much as I strive to accomplish this, I I knew, I knew I never could. And I, I felt a sense of finality to my life that I didn't have enough time. I felt pressed down on every side to where even I despaired of life. But God, right? But God showed up and he has been proving his faithfulness to me ever since. And having that experience of that pressure lifted off of me because of the faithfulness and grace of Christ 
I have always claimed Galatians 2.20 as my favorite verse ever since the first time I read it. For I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying the same thing again, that this, this is our life. This is our calling. This is who we are. We are not ourselves, but Christ's church. Our lives are not our own to do as we please, but to serve to please the one who gave all for us. And I, I know you know this. I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. This, this church, this congregation, this leadership here is, has been vertically minded for a very long time. And I'm, I'm simply wanting to stand here in solidarity with, with my brother Tony as he's been preaching on loving one another, serving one another, washing each other's feet. That death to self isn't just for Jesus, but we die to self for one another as well. And this is how Jesus' life is manifested in our mortal flesh. This is what Paul is referring to here. And you're questioning me again, aren't you? <laughs> but this is what he said. He said, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Death is at work in us, but life in you. My fatality is for your favor. And Paul was all over this in chapter 1 when he was talking about how his affliction is for their comfort. And, and you know, their comfort was also for, for their comfort to, so that they can endure hardships and therefore be able to comfort others. And I think he used the word comfort way too much. But who am I to question God, right? <laughs> But this is what he was getting at. This is what he was saying is that, that it's all for, for someone else. That if I'm afflicted, it's so that you can be comforted. And if you're afflicted, it's so that you can comfort someone else. That death to self is so that we can have the freedom to love one another without being concerned about what I want and what I need and me, me, me. This is what he's getting at. Now this passage can read a little bit kind of us and them kind of thing. There's, there's some pretty severe stuff that Paul was chastising the Corinth, Corinthians about in the Corinth church. And Paul's communication style, he utilizes himself and those who are ministering with him as, as examples. But don't let this confuse you to think that this death to self and service to all is just a leadership-only type mindset. Paul was imploring them to follow his example, and God's Spirit is imploring us to follow the same example. So there's no us and them. We're all called to be jars of clay that show off God's due glory, his fame, and his honor. Now, that's not to say that we won't come across those in our life who are like the Corinthians, who need guidance and encouragement, sometimes correction. But even in that process, we die to self. Because our purpose is always reconciliation. 
always for the benefit of the other. It's never to make sure that the truth is known or, or we need to make sure you get your theology right. Listen to Paul's heart on this as he, as he says it in chapter 2. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. So Paul, Mr. Mr. Weighty and forceful letters, says, I beg you, don't overburden him. Don't press him on all sides. Back off a little, man. For we are all on this journey of sanctification. And Paul even said this about himself to others. It's not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is a man of love and sacrifice and grace. And we're called to do the same for one another. God reveals his love through our fatality. Die to self. Die to self. I found it interesting in, in, in preparation for this, this sermon, I, I chose a passage that was, I felt pulled back to this. It was a, thoughts that were in my mind for a long time, and, and, and this passage specifically through, through different reading plans and whatnot, I kept getting drawn to this. And so when I, I, I said, okay, we'll, we'll preach this one. This is the one we'll do. And in preparing it and thinking through it, I'm like, man, I really don't have a whole lot of content. <laughs> it's deep and it's foundational to who we are, but there's just not much there. And I, and I go through it and I get it, all, get it all typed out and I tell my wife, I don't know, I think it's going to be short. Y'all are thinking, praise God. But then I remember, I remember today's communion. It needs to be short. And I start to think how good God is. And that even in all the way back in that process of, of selecting the passage, God's there crafting everything, being a part of all of it, being present. And in, in, in my weakness of, of an own personality, character flaw, however you want to say it, of not planning things out in, in good detail and kind of fly by the seat of your pants kind of thing. God's faithful and God's there and God shows himself to be absolutely amazing and that his grace is sufficient for us. So Harvest Decatur, do we want to see God's greatness? Do we want to witness his limitless power? Do we want to feel his love lavished on us? Then let us live humbly, live daily in our weakness, knowing God is strong. Let us live daily 
trusting in trusting submission to Christ no matter what comes our way. Let us choose daily to die to self and to live by loving God and loving people. Harvest decayed be jars of clay to show how good God is. Pray with me as, as we prepare our hearts for communion. Our gracious Father, God of all, Creator, life itself, You are. You are. And we thank You so much for what You are for us, for the love and the grace and Your gift of Your Son. that he did come and he did become weak. He became flesh. He became human. He became a body that suffered. But in that suffering, Lord, he rose above and in that death, he came to life again, taking it back up to give us hope. to give me hope, Lord. I praise you for it, Lord, and as as we look to, to communion, as we look to another facet of, of, of how we worship you, we do desire for this to all be about you, Lord. For your glory, for your fame and your honor, for it is due you and you are the only one worthy. Thank you for being here, for joining with us, for being present always as you promised you would be. It is in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.